Hello and thank you for tuning in and listening to the Mint Podcast. It's great to have you with us. We are Sean, Sarah and myself, Dave, focusing on Everton, culture, the variation of football talking points from quick insights to in-depth discussion topics. Everton had the lead. At last, their supporters had something to cheer about. Mint Podcast. Terrace tribalism, will on-pitch success fuel or calm our identity crisis? Carlo's colpo di stato, is he challenging our values? What makes Leighton one of us, but not Tom? Will we come to regret our rivals' internationalism? DCL's hot streak escapes his doubters and woolness. It's Mint Podcast. I'm intrigued, so let's get going. Ciao and bon dia, Sean and Sarah. Do we even still have an identity crisis? Well, that's an interesting one to think about since the summer. It feels as though we've been, well, even before the summer under Carlo, we've been going through sort of transition phase. And as Carlo's famously stated in the summer about Everton's in need of an evolution and not a revolution. And what does that mean from the team right through to the mentality of the players? Is that a message to the board as well? And obviously the fans and As myself, growing up through the 90s and not really having an understanding of what success really is. I was only five when Everton won the FA Cup, so vague memories of that. And with sort of anecdotes like, that's Everton from Ken Wright, like that effect that it's had on me as as an Evertonian. And it feels like Carlo's dragging us towards, well, beyond the glass ceiling and what he's making us think and where where can this go. So do you think Carlo's forming a coup d'etat on Ken Wright and that ideology that he's in, ingrained into the fans? Because I am in agreement with you. I, I, I'm a year or so older than you, so I, I was the late 80s, but nowhere near old enough to remember anything other than failure as an identity. Is um, our identity crisis that I've personally maybe been going through does it just even take a couple of weeks for a fan base to relieve negativity? Is that all you need? Do you just need a couple of consistent weeks, months of positivity for a fan base to be uplifted and fuel that uh, passionate um, emotion in the club again? I think results, good signings, all of those things can be a massive factor in that. So it can actually turn overnight and it can become something different automatically yeah and I do think that Carlo has had an impact on the club which maybe the club didn't even realize he could bring maybe they thought success might come out of it they hoped you know they were putting all those eggs into that basket but actually I don't think anybody at the club maybe realized the impact he would have on everything around the club the culture itself in in a in a good way you know the whole thing it was like a tribalism, wasn't there, about Everton fans? Well, there still is. Oh, is there, yeah, is there still, still is, I guess. But I feel like there was a tribalism between some Everton fans. I feel that Definitely. there seems to be an integration and there seems to be a togetherness now. And yet it's obviously to do with joined up thinking on the pitch, but it seems to also be some joined up thinking from recruitment levels, from management levels. And it makes me... I've never experienced that togetherness. And sometimes, even in the current state, I think the best thing that has ever actually happened to Everton is to not allow the fans in the stadium for a couple of months. We would lord out and hoard players 
after a couple of minutes some weeks and being one of us a scouser is very different for somebody like Leighton Baines and Tom Davis isn't it yes very much so I, I yeah why though I believe that I think is it is Leighton safe for the average let's say fella sat in the Bullens is there a safe element to Leighton to like him to want to be like him whereas Tom is the complete opposite end of that spectrum or is he is the dynamic in the dressing room something maybe we don't see? We 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 create it in our heads, don't we? That maybe there's a dynamic with friendships and things, but does it actually exist? From my perspective, I always wonder. I know that Tom and Leighton they spend time with each other. You know that they're they're, they're friends. They both live in Liverpool, so socially, you know that they they spend time together. But their families probably probably know each other as well. So, how does that affect Leighton? the abuse that might be aimed at a certain player in the team, does that fall into the dressing room? You know, what does he think of the fan base? It, there's so many different elements to it that I don't think we realise. It's only that we're now winning and the club feels very different and positive all of a sudden. I I think about that more now. I think it's highlighted. Yeah, that's some, some good points there, Sarah, because I'm also perplexed as to why sort of Tom Davis has kind of been thrown under the bus a little bit. Um, Cause historically in general, a lot of local lads do get great support from Evertonians and, and specifically if they're a, a scouser as well from like the L postcode. And um, there's definitely a lot more support for those lads coming through. But then again, he's been on the other side of that. And personally, I feel it's a little bit unjust because he was next to sort of a a very experienced professional in Gilfie Sigurdsson and players like Morgan Schneiderlin last season. And he came flying onto the scene originally and he scored that goal against City and everyone was excited about him. But he shares some correlation to like a young Leighton Baines, that shaggy haircut, sort of alternative looking and dresses a bit differently, a bit more out there compared to uh, Leighton and feel as though like, why is, why, like obviously Leighton was just very consistent and quiet. Tom's kind of comes across that way, but obviously he's dressed and he's a bit more active with obviously DCL um, on social media and things like that. I wonder what it is specifically that fans, because it can't just be performances. Oh yeah, it's very different. It's like when the te- if the team's doing well, then none of those, we're, we're not moaning about things, are we, that are insignificant suddenly but now do you think the grass is green. Do you think it's, if, if you're different, you are, you're the You get a pass. You sort of, oh, you if get you, a pass if you're decent. Yeah, but if you, and I feel like you're the centre of attention regardless of whether you're quiet or you're not, if you're different, do you think our fan base has a propensity to jump on you if you're not playing very well? But if you're playing very well and you're different, they forget about the things they would laud you for if you weren't playing very well and big them up. Like, so your negatives are utilised as positives if you're playing well. Yeah, because people are fickle and they fall in trend and they don't want to be seen to not like the thing that might be successful or our number one striker over the last however long we haven't had a striker like him. I, I imagine he's going to set records and continue to set records because he, he looks like he's absolutely on fire. Because um, it's interesting Go on. to think Sean immediately linked Tom with Dom and the, 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 the like, you know, what, what brought the first person into your mindset there, Sean, whenever 
you know, you, you think of the Tom Davis as somebody who's a little bit different, who's unique in that manner, but so is Dom, but they have the different reactions in the fan base, don't they? You definitely do, and obviously DCL's got a great opportunity and he's benefited from the new signings. Obviously, we needed a new midfield for everyone and Tom's a bit further down the pecking order, but I don't see any reason as to why he can't flourish as well eventually. He might not be on the same trajectory as uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin and let's face it, there's not much competition for DCL, but he'd done his job last season, to be fair to him. He got on the end of crosses and you could see that he was improving and then with the right Mm. service now, he's flourishing and I don't think it'll be a surprise to a lot of people with a good midfield but then I look at Davis and again I feel like he was a great player when he came on the scene and he's shown great signs he could do it at the top level at a younger age so he just needs a bit more time I think to um, work in that system and maybe learn from Carla like uh, DCL's learned to this one touch finishing like correlate his game to like Inzaghi like what little tips he's Davis might get from working with Alan and Decore and how that can positively impact his game. It might even change his role completely. It's the expectation as well, isn't it, as a scouser? We, we, for some reason, we sort of throw all of that onto them. I mean, you know, maybe it's hope that we want them to be, you know, the greatest thing we could imagine. But I think he's been. I think. To, I think Davis has been through too many man, managers. Um, I think he's been for his age. I think. Calvert-Lewin has, has done really well and he's come out of it on top, actually. Whereas I, I feel like maybe the personality that Davis has and the type of player he is, maybe he hasn't, he obviously hasn't flourished, has he? And you can sort of, you can give him a pass on that because I do think that if you look behind the scenes, like what's gone on in his few years there, the managers that we've been through, it, yeah, it's, it's, it, could, it could knock you, couldn't it? I'm, I'm, I imagine it would, to be honest. Do you think he kind of defines that identity crisis? And yeah, I think Davis is an identity crisis for a lot of Evertonians. I think Evertonians look at Davis and judge a generation. I'm not saying all Evertonians. I think some Evertonians look at Davis into his fashion, like skateboarding. You know, into things a little bit differently. And also, my insecurities are. You know, I'm going to use that because I'm insecure, and I'm yeah. going to push. You know, fear into other people to make them dislike that person because they might be different and living the, the life that they want to live. You know, that's it falls into it. Do you genuinely think they see a lot of it or do they just completely shut themselves off from it? I Well, look at the Dell thing that happened and I forget when it was, but he got into an altercation, didn't he? It made like national news. Uh, arguing with Everton fans after a defeat, I think it was mm-hmm. last season. And correct me if I'm wrong on that, but... Um, the Iwobi thing, I suppose, most recent as well, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, and that Iwobi incident. And it's like, that can impact a player's confidence big time. Well, can it impact, that's what I mean though, can it impact a team? You know, if, let's for example say, Calvert-Lewin is close with Tom Davis. If Tom is getting that abuse, does that fall in, you know, what, what is Calvert-Lewin supposed to think of our fan base? Like, how how would you feel? For me, it's it becomes the fan base versus somebody and that tribalism of it shouldn't be the fan base versus our players it shouldn't be the gladders versus the park and it shouldn't it, be. is it just on the surface that though so we we assume that liverpool being the type of club they are that you know the, it must be perfect and everyone's pulling in the same direction do, do you think they still have the same culture problems that we do you know are there elements of their fan base local 
maybe that despise the fact that they that the tickets have gone up and that it's extortionate and and they have people traveling thousands of miles every other week and coming into into their to their local club you know how do you think do you think they have the same problems as we do yeah i think being from in not even necessarily inside the city boundary but you do you, do you look down at people that are not from the city that the club's from i know it's a talking point isn't it in football like support your most local team or at the end of the day you know some people that's not how they get into football and a lot of Evertonians and Liverpoolians are fortunate enough that their clubs are very local, very close. The city's very located in a insular area, isn't it? It's a very the Republic of Liverpool, if you want to call it that. Um, and we are very passionate about where we're from and, and, and who we are. And that comes across in the rivalry between us. But I think sometimes it can also have a negative effect a little bit on what we think of others from outside I think sometimes it, it can come across as you're not one of us maybe um, and would success stop us and our and the way we think about fans would we want people jumping on our bandwagon if we were successful because how, how else are you supposed to move to that next level if you can't get that fan base abroad if we can't would we would you personally be bothered if 10,000 fans were coming over from Colombia every week to watch the game if we were in the Champions League what what do you think about that, Sean? I mean, you're you're abroad, aren't you? So if you're in Canada. I know there, there's Evertonians that you've spoken to. I'm there, sensitive so. around this topic because obviously I'm prime wool coming from Ellesmere Port. <laughs> prime okay. time wool. Do you feel the sort of I don't know, not friction too much, but there's uh, teasing that goes on, which is all good fun and like in good jest. But there's definitely I always observe and I'm always fascinated by it as well. The sort of Liverpool postcode mentality of this is our city kind of thing and what are you doing here kind of that tribalism that does filter out across the city on nights out let's say at the weekend regardless of the football and it's funny that obviously as we mentioned in the question sort of the the rivals that we've got and being sort of they've got this internationalism and this following around the world and now what's transitioned through the summer Carlo's gone, yeah, we do need to evolve with that. And what the club's trying to do with in signing James Rodriguez and Colombians and what can that, as well as obviously they want to set up a US branch and uh, the Brazilian aspect as well, sort of a huge economy in South America there, that I think it could only add to the flavour of Liverpool as a city, bringing in those influences from South America like and then obviously with that filtering beyond sort of just players in the team like scouting networks that can come out of that and amb- ambassadors for the club like you see Stephen PNR coming from South Africa as well as Tim Cale is just like our biggest spokesperson out in Australia as well and what impact that can have in for tourism number one obviously post what we're going through at the minute and the money and the revenue that can it can bring in and obviously with someone like Carlo at the helm sort of managing all that on the pitch. You know, well, football in general, I don't even mean inside Liverpool, to be honest. Maybe I'm just using inside Liverpool as the only bubble I know, but, you know, living in Manchester, I see that as well. I think football's very strange, especially with Liverpool's socialist background and, and characteristics, that football doesn't necessarily follow the same line because we're very welcoming as a city from outsiders, 
were very welcoming, but we use that as a stick to beat Liverpool with as a club. And I'm not saying they're well more welcoming than us as outsiders, but if we were as successful as they were, would it just come with the territory of being successful? And should we be the club to embrace it? It's because I know Liverpool fans, I know quite a few my mate acquaintances, shall we say, don't have any mates who are Liverpool fans, but I know they don't like that. They sometimes don't like it. They don't like it. And should we be the people that know, come and have come carnival with us, come and, you know, come and, come and dance with us in town, come and celebrate cups with us. You know, we'll meet you when we're in this city and we'll go abroad and we can all have, we can all follow the club that we care about together. I don't think we I don't think we know how to do that anymore. <laughs> I don't know. Do Celebrate that, success and Yeah, but that's, <laughs> no, that's we definitely I mean. don't know how to do that. But I feel like it's it's been so long. I don't I don't think we I don't think the fan base as a whole knows it's almost like we're going into this unknown territory, aren't we? You know, it's been it's a whole generation of, of, of nothing. And so people that have that do remember that period are now older. And we're all going into it in, you know, maybe they didn't have families at that time. You know, maybe they were like, they were young lads, they were young girls. And they went, you know, on that success trip of, of the, of the 80s of, of Everton and that huge period of our history. And now they're complete, they're in completely different periods of their lives. So they, they think differently, they feel differently. And you've got people then coming up that have never seen Everton win anything and we're all expected to to feel the same thing and be in that moment, and maybe we're not. And I think maybe we all, maybe we have an inferiority complex, and part of that is the mentality and the the tribes amongst us. Because I think that's that's one of the problems, and I despise it because I was born in Liverpool and I've come from City Road. I was down the road from Goodison Park, yet because I don't maybe dress in a particular way I don't speak in a particular way it's almost like I'm an outsider do you think that's general um, to football or to um, maybe but I can only talk as an Evertonian yeah. and so yeah maybe it is but I, I think be, go on. We, we've been to plenty of European games Sean and I don't get that maybe because I'm not as emotionally attached to that club I don't get the feel that I can't be who I am specifically the way I dress, you know, the opinions I have on the game politically and, and, you know, specifically to the club. I don't ever feel out of sync or out of place when I go watch European football. Um, sometimes in specific sections of the ground at Goodison, I do feel that way. That um, you can't dress in a particular way. Or yeah, to some extent, and I don't out. know whether that's a tribalism thing. Maybe that's a, maybe that's me. Maybe that's just a me thing, and I need to sort of deal with that in my own way. But maybe I do feel like it is. It's a Tom Davis thing. Back to Davis. Is it? Is it? I'm letting that have that effect on me, and it's affecting how I put my impression on the match. So how do you expect that not to impact on the person who's on the pitch, who's 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 feeling everything you're feeling? You know, nobody cares about me at the game, but we all care about Tom when he's knocking a ball down the line, you know, and, and making a run for a pass or going in for a tackle. Well, he's got influence on the game. He's on the pitch at that moment, isn't he? It's not like the fans are and whatever. they Like, he's going to certainly feel it more being a local lad if he 
is sort of negativity from the stands and um, obviously the season has been behind closed doors so far and I think he's not been featured too much but I think Dominic Calvert-Lewin and the rest of the team have been beneficiaries of uh, not feeling that strain. Do you think it'd be a positive for Tom if he was actually on the pitch more now there's no fans? 100%. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think next to players like Alan, Decore and Rodriguez, it can only, you can only bring out the best in your game, right? You you either come up to that level or you're going to be really sort of highlighted sort of as poor, which I think Pickford's obviously recently has been making some mistakes. And that really highlights that, doesn't it? Where weaknesses are with this new fresh idea on the team. And and it's, it's Carlo's job to obviously manage all that. And I think it's probably, even he's probably, while he's been transitioning and involved in this team, and obviously I imagine they all want the fans in there, obviously, because there's nothing more exciting, but it's been able to get him work on the just the specifics, like the tactics and stuff, and get that message across clear and gives them confidence to play it out from the back, because I'll be honest with you, in summer, thinking that Everton were going to welcome a press <laughs> with like <laughs> Keane and yeah. things like that in the back, I thought, are they going to be able to do, deal with it? But they've done fantastically, haven't they? And that goes to show and support sort of my argument and how players can change and evolve. And I think with more on-pitch time for Davis, like you said, Dave, um, without the fans in the stand, getting used to this new system and giving him that time, maybe there's some hope for him. Do you think the fans going back into the ground and experiencing this team again, let's say that they carry on with this run, do you think we'll go back with slight trepidation? Do you think there will be that? We'll start to be conscious about the way we react, you know, those moments of anger or... I I think as soon as Michael Keane plays a stray pass, um, (laughs) Twitter rage will ensue. And we'll all go back to um, February 2019, Everton. Mm. And, I, and I feel that aura, that environment, that vibe will then relate back to the players. I think everyone mm. who goes back to the game needs to make a conscious effort that our, our atmosphere and our feelings pass over to the players on the pitch. It does. It feels like that. At the end of the day, we've not won anything since 1995. We are self-proclaimed the most apathetic fan base in the league. Like there was points where I didn't really even care to watch the last 20 minutes of a game when we weren't playing very well. It, I just used to switch off. I just honestly switch off, and it used to just be like. And if I wasn't watching football, sometimes for the analysis and the way that I would like to watch football as a qualified coach. I would generally have not watched that game. So for me, I do think the tribalistic nature of a fan base, maybe not even Everton's, but a fan base, the nature and the way that they portray that tribalism affects the players. And it's very much a you and us. It's very much partisan in that way in which it's, this is us, you're not representing us on the pitch, so we don't like you. It's not you are one of us and we want to help you be better because we want to be better. Yeah, that togetherness is yeah. going to be essential for us to kind of push on. And it, it, like I think prior to, obviously, hopefully we hear like good things and more fans can get it back into the stadium and that excitement, I hope he passes over to the team and uh, with their playing style. And I think Carlo is going to be the, the cornerstone for keeping that in check 
with the players and with the fans his messaging after games has been simple it's like it's, it's 11 v 11 it's two goals yeah. they don't move and like so reassuring having that figure and as Sarah mentioned earlier like it's taken a sort of Italian guy to come in and reaffirm to Everton what who they are and what they are and he's a winner first and foremost but like you say like you said Dave he's got no history in relation to the club he's kind of saying that like Everton needs to evolve but it's evolving with me in a way so it's his like he's putting his stamp on it which is what I really like do you think he's that um evolution not revolution do you think sometimes it is just wording and Sarah, I know you've said before, so you know, feel free to interject or disagree with me here. Um, that evolution, maybe he's putting in place that he knows he's in, he's of his age bracket and he's not going to be at the club for 20 years or 15 years or 10 years because not many managers are now. Do you think the little snippet you seen of Ferguson was tribalistic? And sometimes it's too tribalistic, isn't it? It's going over the top. He, he maybe Ferguson would have burnt out after a couple of more weeks of being that emotionally involved as manager of Everton at that stage. Do you think what he's doing is he's maybe planting that seed for an evolution long term, not Carlo's revolution. It's Everton's evolution, and he's part of the evolution. So maybe before, like I said, these involved in this colpo de stato it's not that he's just a piece of the overall and he knows he is and you think ferguson and 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 future players or future members of the coaching staff will soak that calmness up and it and it sort of bleed into every other section of our club well, you know, I, I can't be saying too much to a, a legendary manager like that. I'm sure he's got his in opinions. You know, he, he'll know exactly. He's watched the games. He's told me that he's watched the last three or four games. He's been on the tapes and he's watched them all. Uh, he knows there's a good spirit there. He knows there's a good base. And I think, uh, you know, he'll, he'll in, introduce his playing style into the team. Uh, but I'll be there to support him in any way I can. I'll always support my boss, always. Yeah, fortunately, we will never know what might have happened um, after Ferguson's period so I'm glad that Carlo took over when he did I think we all needed it didn't we mentally I think the club needed it like you said David I know you've talked about we've I've I've debated whether Arteta would have been the ideal as a builder from scratch and I think you said that that time we needed our uh, we needed Carlo and I I absolutely agree with you now on that I think that Carlo is, he, I think he's a genius, to be honest. He's, he is building the club. He's creating something. The ironic thing is, this feels very familiar, doesn't it? It feels very Everton, but it feels completely new and different. So that's how clever he is. He's actually, he's given us something that we always had, but he's given it back really shiny. <laughs> Like it, yeah. it, it, it's it's ours and it feels familiar, and it it means the same thing that it always did to us, but even more. And I think that's part of his genius that he's able to sort of bring us, like pull us into the twenty first century and make us realize our history, but also that with that comes you know the future as well. We we thought we can't just stay you know, looking back, we've we've got to go ahead. 
It's definitely a growth thing, isn't it? It's like that acknowledgement of the past, but... Not living in it. Yeah, not living in it and just staying in it. It's like, right, like, let's kick on now. Let's let's change for the good. And you've got, you don't even realise what you've got. Take the blinkers off. I'm a fresh set of eyes here. I've been there. I've done it. I'm proven. Right under your nose with a couple of good additions. Look what it's done already. Imagine a few more. I, I get excited just thinking of another yeah. summer transfer window with even just three more signings, what that does to Everton's team. I think like Mourinho obviously said uh, prior to the first game of the season, like he sees us as a competitor. And I know he likes to play his mind games, but I think he generally has respect for Carlo Ancelotti. And he shows yeah, I do it. too. And he only shows it to certain people. And that's what really opened my eyes as well, just seeing someone like that. And then, obviously, the results start coming in. And then more and more media is focusing on Everton. And obviously, Calvert-Lewin's been a huge beneficiary of that. Um, and I think it's a great sign for so much more to come. It doesn't feel it doesn't feel forced, though, does it? You know, the, the, the pull of the media and the draw that we've suddenly got. It's almost like, yeah, we, we are succeeding. And yes, we are doing well. And look at us. There's a pureness to it, isn't there? Yeah, and that those old habits, fabricated. like that tribalism and identity thing, again, more recently I've seen on Twitter about signings and certain parts of the media not mention Everton to do well, how it's irking some fans and how negative and angry they get so quick. And it's funny that, again, those old habits and they're just feeding into those old ways and... I think slowly over time, those, that's, it's just insecurity, like rife with certain fans. And it's like, when are you going to wake up and just get on board and realise that they're only saying those things to get a reaction out of you sometimes? News is news, isn't it? Like, bad news is good news for the news. It's not necessarily good news for the listener. So what I like about them not speaking about us and putting us on a pedestal or whatever you want to call it, it's just like Everton are just Carlos are gonna keep bobbing along nicely, doing what he's doing, and eventually they're gonna have nothing else to say but talk about him. <laughs> yeah, I agree. But he he loves it though. I feel like he thrives off that quiet uncle type of he knows everyone likes him and he doesn't have to prove it. He, knows he also it. looks. He looks like he's enjoying himself doing it, though, doesn't yeah. he? I feel like if he was at a, a club that had probably won something over the last few years, I don't feel like he'd have the same buzz that he's probably getting. But I feel like he's. This. I think he's really enjoying. He's reveling in the moment, isn't he? Doing 100%. it, and that reassurance is filtering amongst all of us in the fan base, the early adopters, and then it'll be a compound effect. Everyone's going to be reassured if things kind of keep going the way they're going. And to be honest, if a few injuries occur, I think he's got enough experience in the locker to manage expectations and reassure, reassure think, fans. That, that there, what you said there, Sean, that management of expectations, it's funny, isn't it, how the manager of the club, given the management of the fans' expectations, this, this guy does not just manage 24, 25 players now, this guy is the manager of 45,500 fans when the stadium opens again. Yeah, is that what he is to Everton now? Is is that tribalism? Is is it as if we've got our not not want to say political leader? I don't want to sound like I'm saying it like a cult. I think is it he is though. Now the trans is he is it yet yeah, like is that what he's coming across as to us all? 
I'd vote for him every day. <laughs> yeah. Same. I'd definitely vote for him. I don't know what his policies are. But I definitely vote for him. We were talking about that, though, because we, we were, we, we've been crying out for it, haven't we? I think Ferguson yeah. was that first glimmer of that, wasn't it? He was the identity of us all. He's got, and... he's got the aura of an in-charge political leader, hasn't he? Of, of, of a respectable and a forward-thinking, calm measured so basically he's not got any order of any political leader but he's got what you would assume you would want yeah, as a political leader and we've previously had sort of bill Cameron as a spin doctor so <laughs> yeah. oh dear well, yeah we've had we've had like some sort of witch doctor in charge of our club haven't we you know so sure knows um... has to get his mention in <laughs> well it's true though and it's it is true great yeah. correlate and like we've needed it and carlo's taken everything on if i'll be honest and He's got a great henchman and Marcel Brands getting the work done and uh, contract Dave as well, just getting, <laughs> deals, getting the, uh, the deals over the line. But like they're moving on. And again, I always mention Ed Denise is just doing stuff commercially off the pitch. And it feels like it's just we're being dragged by all these different people. And like we're leaving that period behind and we've got to leave, leave those old opinions and ways of being behind and evolve with the team and give them the support they deserve at the end of the day because tom davis to bring it back down to that identity he deserves the support of um evertonians under carlo ancelotti um, and a city and his city being tribalistic there we are we are we're it's a city we are a tribalistic place and it is his city isn't it and like, I know his, uh, his performances have differed to someone like Trent Alexander-Arnold, but I look at why can't we want the same for that third? Plus, as a defender, I mean, I never got him, to be honest, did you? I think he's shoddy, isn't he, at the back? <laughs> forward, he's okay. Coming Sarah, forward, he's Sarah'd okay. Sarah would be clipping balls over his right shoulder for 90 <laughs> minutes. 94 yeah. minutes, she would be clipping I balls know. over his shoulder. Ignoring oh, the fact he scores free overrated, kicks. Overrated, But, to again, Evan. overrated... But they they hone in on the local thing, don't they? You know, they well do. they celebrate it, they throw it up on walls. Do you know what I mean? And again, like Tom Davis, I'm not saying I'm under no illusions that performances haven't been good, but I think they've been unjust and too much pressure's been on him. That's has impacted him. He's a young lad still. I agree. And I think in a good team next to someone like Alan and players like that, again, I'll keep reiterating it. Like I think I'd love to see him have another couple of years and to see if he can evolve. Mold. Evolve yeah. himself as a player yeah. under someone like Carlo Ancelotti because do you know what? If you can't evolve under Carlo Ancelotti, one of the best decorated players in the game, maybe he isn't good enough, but give him some time. We're too yeah, time. quick to discard. Look at Ross Barkley for leaving and wanting to progress. And at the time, Everton were in whatever situation they were in, but he wanted to be in Champions League and things like that. And mm-hmm. he, let's face it, he does have the ability, but he's had to have a step down currently. But like, it's quickly to jump on the back of him. And again, with Rooney before that, he was going under one of the best managers at the time, but he was a very talented player as well. And it's that, I mean, that transfer saved the club, didn't it, really? Let's be honest. Yeah. Even John Stones, though. So. Stones, you know, I remember he played away and um, fans were booing him. We put his in the League Cup, I think it was. And, all, and, and some fans were booing him and he got offended by it, didn't he? And he was, remember, at the game when he. Did that <laughs> he used to make my heart jump out of my chest. I I loved watching him, and he'd turn around and tell the fans to calm down. And we and the and it was the park end, and I sit in the park end. You know, hopefully I don't turn into one of those park end dars. Yeah, and 
I, I don't think that um, that he he. I don't think we got him. I think he came too early for us. I think he came, and I think it was turning round, telling the fans to calm down that he's got it. It was uh, like uh, who are you telling us? And I thought, well, I'm not sure I'd be able to do a cross turn in, you know, in the garden on my own. Never mind in a penalty box in front of forty thousand people. So I feel like sometimes those people are those players are different, those personalities that are different. They come with quirks. They come with things that maybe you don't quite understand, and you need to embrace that a little bit. I think the club and the manager has to guide this fan base to a different way of thinking. It's the only way it's going to happen because I don't see I don't see many changes in it really institutionally. Going to the yeah. game as a woman, going to the game as a woman, what well, you know, oh, you shouldn't probably be here on your own or you shouldn't be in this section at least on your own or you had any experiences in my that stand out to you, Sarah, where you felt uncomfortable, let's say. Mike Walker, that was a terrible experience. (laughs) (laughs) And for the club or for you as a woman? (laughs) Or for you as a human? Game to game, yeah, of course. Always experiences. You you learn to just get on with it, I think. You you put up with it because going to the game with my dad, there were, I think because I was with him, you almost get a pass, you know. It's the father taking his daughter to the game. Oh, isn't it lovely? But then the minute I start going on my own, it's like, what? Oh, it's a woman. Why are you in this section? You know, and it's the strange looks or it's the, you know, oh, she's being a bit vocal. <laughs> it's that. So there are you, you get certain passes to a certain extent when maybe you're younger. And then as a woman, yeah, of course. I mean, it happens. We we can all sit here and say everything's very inclusive and but yeah, homophobia is rife, you know, there are undertones of racism and there are undertones of sexism. And should I maybe put that to one side, the sexism part, and think, well, it it's it's is it a man's game? Predominantly it's attended by men. It's I'm going to see men play. Those traditional values, you know, the game is traditionally male oriented, so yeah, but for the club, that as a as it's a toffee, toffee girl, as a it's it's like one of its mascots. It's weird to to think that I'd again. I must be totally oblivious for when I've gone the game. But don't get me wrong; I've heard sort of all sorts of different shouts. But like again, it's something that the the fans themselves should police. If I'll be honest, they need to change. Every one of us should be vocal yeah, and stuff yeah. like and it probably has changed you know it's probably ch- every 10 years or so it changes you know to 100 years ago to 50 years ago to 30 years ago but there are still undertones of that and we all we have to push that out as a club and as a fan base we have to it's it's as one everybody has to do it and slowly call out individually even if it's individual calls out it's you don't look like me you know like David doesn't feel comfortable going in the game we have to call that out because why shouldn't you turn up in in the keks you want? <laughs> you know, why, why shouldn't you do that? Why shouldn't you wear the trainers that you want to wear because you might not look like 15 lads in, in the lower Gladys? You know, it's you should wear what you want to wear and that's part of that for me. It's, it's all of those things. What do you think needs to happen 
to progress that change in thinking? I like I just alluded to there. I think if, with I think fans need to take ownership of being hostile towards people who have sort of racist, sexist, homophobic views explicitly. Then first and foremost, uh, and like take pride in your own behaviour of the club and who you're representing because it's Everton Football Club. It's never stood for any of those things. I don't think for me personally, growing up since I've lived since 1990. I agree. I, I don't think the club's ever ever supported it or backed it or represented it. Do you think the club is? Think the, In the, the fan base as well. Like, they shouldn't, like... Do you think the club is itself doing its part? Because if they were, wouldn't that bleed into the fans? I think at one point it wasn't on trend, was it? Maybe 20 years ago? I can't imagine 20 years ago the Black Lives Matter movement becoming part of of everyday life of football now which it seems to be doesn't it it it's it's ever present it's incredible to see it actually so i can't imagine that that would have happened 20 years ago the same with pride being celebrated and the club being inclusive that said i still find it fascinating that no top flight professional footballer has felt that they could come out so does that mean that the institutions themselves are still the same on the, you know, it's still the same internally, but externally they're sort of just going along with that on-trend thing. That's, again, it's very thought-provoking. Yeah. I, yeah. I like, system, like, I wouldn't even know where to begin with on earth and all that, but like you say, I think the influence of the club and the manager, what it can do to... And again, I'm dancing around here to try and find a sort of view on how to proceed with that. But I always think with the self first and don't discourage anyone else. And and if, if everyone's being hostile towards that, even from the chanting, do you know what I mean? I've never personally experienced... Filters into that as well, doesn't it, Sarah? Doesn't it? Chanting. Yeah. Yeah. Like, okay, it, we it? all know the referees are wanker. That's fine. There's nothing... <laughs> in that. But like being... So it's like it does. It's just like get with the times. You know what I mean? Like it's the twenty first century now, and like there's two. Like for us, this is something we enjoy. Why can't everyone enjoy that? Like, yeah. Why does that? Why does that? Like, think about what you're going to say at the game. Do you know what I mean? And who that can impact around you. Which comes right back to the Leighton Baines Tom Davis discussion, doesn't it? I think that's a great final point there. Bit of pleasure of talking to you both, Sarah, Sean of Mint Podcast. I'm off to Garlands. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of The Mint Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to keep up to date with all future releases. We would love to hear your thoughts and opinions, so please like, comment and share Mint is Culture on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Reddit, and we even have a Spotify playlist.